48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. Police make arrests and dish out gathering ban penalty tickets as they break up a protest over the Yunlong mob attack a year ago. Two more coronavirus patients die in Hong Kong as the number of confirmed infections passes 2,000. And the SAR government says London's extradition treaty moves move breaches international law. Riot police have dispersed dozens of anti-government protesters who gathered in a Yunlong mall to mark a year since a gang of men stormed through the town's MTR station, viciously beating people with canes and rods. Democratic Party lawmaker Ted Hoy has been arrested for allegedly obstructing police, while District Councillor Raymond Chow has been taken away on suspicion of violating the national security law, apparently for a placard with the Liberate Hong Kong slogan on it. Many others have been given penalty tickets for allegedly breaching the coronavirus gathering limit. This woman, who gave her name as Dora, says police overreacted. I don't think uh, shouting any slogan uh, is illegal. And I think actually the police are quite irritating because they actually uh, are stopping us from shopping. Earlier in the day, a large group of police confronted Democratic Party lawmakers Lam Chuk Ting, Andrew Wan and Wu Chi Wai, who held a small protest outside Yunlong MTR station, along with two victims of the attack. The five were accused of violating the gathering ban and given penalty tickets. During their brief protest, the lawmakers accused the police of colluding with triads over the mob attack and demanded to know why only seven people have been charged. Police deny any wrongdoing and say they're still investigating. Hong Kong's tally of confirmed coronavirus cases has risen above 2,000, with another 61 reported today. Officials say 58 of the infections were locally acquired and 33 can be linked to previous cases, including two banquets in Tunmun and Mong Kok. A chief manager of the hospital authority, Linda Yu, says the glut of new virus cases is putting pressure on the public health care system. For the medical system, we understand that uh, there are more and more confirmed cases from local as well as the imported cases, uh, which lead to a great pressure to our um, medical system and also the isolation beds. But we will try to try our best to uh, focus our resources to combat um, COVID-19 and also to reduce the elective surface so that we can uh, concentrate our resources, manpower and also bed to overcome this crisis. Meanwhile, another two coronavirus patients died, bringing the total in the SAR to 14. The two latest victims were both elderly men. Police say they filed six complaints with the Hong Kong Journalists Association accusing some web-based journalists of being unprofessional. The complaints include that a reporter allegedly refused to put on a face mask when officers asked him to in Yunlong at the weekend. Another involves reporters allegedly taking close-up pictures of plainclothes officers. The force says it hopes the association's ethics committee can look into its complaints. The SAR government says it strongly opposes Britain's decision to suspend its extradition arrangement with Hong Kong over the national security law, saying every country has a duty to introduce legislation to protect its sovereignty. The government accused London of having double standards and says the move is a political manoeuvre which breaches international law. But the vice chairwoman of the Hong Kong Bar Association, Anita Yip, says Britain and other Western nations have legitimate concerns about the security law. They are already saying, at the very least, they are putting Hong Kong on probation. They want to see how it goes. And I think the damage has already been done. The injury to the um, image of being able to maintain judicial system in Hong Kong, judicial independence in Hong Kong, has already been injured. 
South Korea's internet giant Naver says it's moved backup servers storing users' personal data in Hong Kong to Singapore. The firm says it deleted all its data stored in the SAR early this month. It didn't mention the new national security law as the reason for the move. But US tech giants, including Facebook, Google and Twitter, recently announced they were suspending the handling of SAR government requests for data on users because of the legislation. The authorities have announced that anyone hoping to fly to China will have to present a certificate showing they've tested negative for coronavirus in the five days before their flight. Mainland aviation officials say the new rule applies to Hong Kong, to Chinese citizens as well as to foreigners. Mainlanders can use online software to upload reports on their status for the virus, but foreigners will have to visit a Chinese embassy. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. Pro-Beijing heavyweight Tam Yu-Chung says his call to postpone the Legislative Council elections is driven purely by health concerns and that the prospects of the pro-government camp are not the main issue. Timmy Sung reports. Hong Kong's so delegate to the National People's Congress Standing Committee said he only wanted to remind the government to consider whether September's elections should go ahead if the coronavirus situation is still not under control in Hong Kong. Tam Yu-Chong told a radio program that even the Tokyo Olympics had been delayed for a year because of the pandemic. He said the government needs to study the legal ramifications should the new term legislature be unable to be constituted and start its work as planned. When asked about Singapore and South Korea being able to hold general elections during the coronavirus crisis, Mr. Tam said the city-state had just half the number of people of Hong Kong and is not as densely populated. He said many of the recent cases in the SAR can't be traced, unlike the major source of infections in Singapore, which is among migrant workers. A number of other pro-Beijing figures have also called on the government to postpone the national polls, prompting the opposition camp to question if this really has anything to do with people's health. The chief executive Carrie Lam said on Sunday that the elections would go ahead as planned. But the convener of the pro-democracy camp, the Civic Party's Tanya Chan, says she feels Mr Tam is pressuring the government into postponing the election. She spoke to Damon Peng. With his background, it is very difficult for ordinary citizens to think that it is purely based on a health reason. And it's very likely that uh, his proposal regarding postponement of the election of Legical is due to political reason. And especially when the government is now trying very hard to fight against this uh, pandemic. And based on experts' advice, there is still no uh, concrete evidence showing that election will spread the pandemic. And, uh, and I believe that this is a time for the government to learn the lesson from other countries which held election during this pandemic. But Mr. Tam said even the Tokyo Olympics was postponed. Do you think he has a point? I don't think he raised a very good example uh, for comparison, especially some countries or places that they have uh, that they held uh, elections uh, during uh, between uh, February and July. For example, like South Korea as well as uh, Singapore, and uh, all these and their arrangement has been um, documented. So I. I I do believe that uh, this is a, a, a precious opportunity for the government to, to learn the lesson from all these places. 
The Constitutional and Mainland Affairs Bureau says it will continuously assess how the pandemic could affect the election and draw up different plans in view of the outbreak development. In a reply to queries, the Bureau says it understands the epidemic won't fade away in the short term and it will work with health officials in keeping tabs on the latest development with the pandemic. There's been a significant drop in the number of top performers this year in this year's Diploma of Secondary Education exam, while the percentage of candidates who met the minimum local university admission requirements was steady. Here's Priscilla Ng. According to the Hong Kong Examinations and Assessment Authority, 42% of students who took the DSE exam this year met the minimum requirements to apply for local universities. In a press conference held a day before students pick up their own results, the exam's body said 18,634 candidates attained Level 3 or above for Chinese and English languages and Level 2 for Mathematics and Liberal Studies. But that doesn't automatically earn them a place in a local university because there are only about 15,000 spots available. Meanwhile, seven students are considered top scholars this year, having achieved level five star star for seven subjects. That's down from 12 last year. The authority's secretary general, So Kwok Sang, had this to say about the drop. I think the drop is from 12 to uh, seven uh, because they are very top performers. The number will vary each year, whether or not it's because of the pandemic or because of the paper difficulties or because of the actual performances or ability of the cohort. I really cannot tell. This year's DSE was overshadowed by a row over a history question that was subsequently pulled. Mr. So said that has not had a significant impact on student performance, with almost 95% of exam takers achieving a passing grade. When we analyze the overall performance of various questions and also the imputed marks, uh, the expert judgment consider that there are no uh, anomalies among the four questions, question one to question four. The question, which asked if Japan did more good than harm to China between 1900 and 1945, was scrapped after the Education Bureau and pro-government figures accused it of being biased and misleading. Schools say they'll be providing students with their grades by email because of the pandemic. Vincent Lin from the Association of the Heads of Secondary Schools told Joanna Wong that students should get their results by 9am tomorrow. This is the first time in Hong Kong schools release the DSE exam results online. In long run, we expect the exam authority to establish an official centralised website so that candidates could check their own results directly. This is quite a significant moment for a lot of students, uh, yes. you know, being there in the classrooms with their classmates and teachers, the excitement or the anxiety waiting for the report card. But this year, the graduates won't be getting the same thing. Are you worried about their state of mind without that process? Many schools shall have organized real-time counseling services for their own students. Form teachers, guidance teachers, career teachers, and social workers provide different time slots for each individual student. We work collaboratively to provide individual care to our students so that students could be able to make a wise choice on their own career development. For example, how could students make a good choice in Jupiter's application? We encourage students to discuss with the teachers and parents before making the decisions. Talking about the counseling services or the physically, they are not at the school. In fact, 
the school campus is still open. If necessary, students could come back to their schools as well so that teachers and social workers can provide more direct assistance to students. As many schools may release the exam results online and provide real-time counseling services, we encourage students, Essex parents, to play an active role in this very important day. Essex parents, please give more encouragement to your kids. If there is any special situation, please contact the school directly. Do you expect a lot of students to still opt to go back to their campuses to physically get their reports? I think this is the student's choice. In fact, uh, schools offer different choices for them. They can access their results online or they can come back to the school. But in fact, we think actually if they do everything online and with the the assistance of the real-time counselling services, I think this will help as well. The World Health Organization has hailed promising results being reported for two coronavirus vaccine trials. One is being carried out in Wuhan, while the other is at Oxford University. Mike Ryan, the head of the WHO's emergencies program, described the result of the Oxford trial as good news. The vaccine did generate neutralising antibody, I think, in in all participants. Um, And uh, in a very small number of participants that were given a booster dose, uh, those uh, responses were even uh, greater. So in generating T-cell mediated uh, responses and generating neutralising antibody, uh, this this is a positive result. But again, there is a long way to go. These are phase one studies. We now need to move into larger scale real world trials, but it is good to see more data uh, and more products moving into this very important phase. But what about the results from the trials in Wuhan where COVID-19 first broke out last year? Derek Lowe is a chemical biologist who writes a blog about global drug development called In the Pipeline. China has been doing a lot. They have some pretty serious biopharma capabilities, some very capable people and companies there. And some of these efforts have been publishing. One of them just published some more today, CanSino. Those fellows in Sinovac have been pretty open about what they're up to. On the other hand, there are other efforts more involved with the Chinese government and military that we know very little about. So it's a real mixture, but they're very capable. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Police make arrests and dish out gathering ban penalty tickets as they break up a protest over the Yunlong mob attack a year ago. Two more coronavirus patients die in Hong Kong as the number of confirmed infections passes 2,000. And the SAR government says London's extradition treaty move breaches international law. The news from RTHK. RTHK, Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. The chairman of the Medical Association's Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases is urging people to stay at home to try to halt the spread of COVID-19 so that Hong Kong can avoid a complete lockdown. Dr Leung Chi Chu told RTHK that imposing such a measure would be too extreme. At this stage, I think we should focus on how to prevent the need for lockdown because that is probably a path of no return. We need to mobilise our community to try to stay home as much as possible and as soon as possible. That will help to decrease the transmission within our society very quickly. And they will also allow our public health response teams uh, to track down the infection links 
in some of our transmission highways within our busy city. For example, in our public transport, as our taxi drivers, our malls and also our wet markets, as well as our hospitals, our restaurants. In these high-risk spaces, when the workers or staff there are infected, they serve as important transition links. However, because our current testing policy is rather indiscriminate, it's overwhelmed by the large number of people who are in panic. And that prevents us from tracking down the infectious source. And the workers have many chance to contact other co-workers and with the customers. It's spread quickly. And from both the customers and from the workers, the infection spread to the families. And if we can stop the transmission within these fast transmission channels, we can control the infection much quickly. But first of all, we need to mobilize our community to try to stay home as much as possible. Otherwise, the infection cannot uh, be controlled. And if the infection cannot be controlled, and we then need to try to consider some of these extreme measures, but this will be a very high cost to both our economy, and uh, that will not prevent uh, transmission in our healthcare facilities, which are overwhelmed by the large number of infected individuals, and we will take a long time to get out of the situation, and that would be a path of low return. The government has already introduced uh, many uh, different uh, anti-epidemic measures. Um, what else do you think it can consider before resorting to it, for example, uh, a virtual lockdown? The government introduced some measures, but it only showed an example and to, uh, pass a clear message to our public that we are in a, an unprecedented uh, public health crisis. We lead our public to respond to this crisis. We lead our private companies to follow our government's example to allow as many of their workers to stay uh, at home to work or have, having a short leave. And then if we can decrease uh, the, the number of people uh, with, uh, in public places, we will decrease the transmission very quickly. And then we will avoid too many outbreaks within different parts of our society so that our public team will have time to tackle them and track down all the transmission links. And then this is the most important message I want to pass upon. Uh, if we, whenever we want to uh, go out, we need to think, is this that necessary? Because every time we, we, we go out, we are increasing the risk to ourselves. Our family, as those uh, vulnerable, especially those vulnerable elderly, as well as our community, we our having, we are having an outbreak while we are having a ninety percent mass coverage. The mass hell, but is law almighty. The president of the Hong Kong Public Doctors Association has urged people only to seek coronavirus tests when it's necessary, as laboratories are struggling to keep up. The call comes after a mix-up with results led to a woman being sent to a COVID-19 ward even though she wasn't infected. Dr Arasina Ma told Joanna Wong that labs have been overwhelmed as authorities ramp up testing and people start to panic. 
of course, the healthcare workers need to shoulder the responsibility. But as well, most the public are knowing that the lab is going through a very difficult situation. The task order has go up, let's say, around seven to even 9,000 in recent days. It's really reaching the maximum capacity of the lab. And also the laboratory of the Department of Health is the one of the most important labs which need to give confirmed results for all newly diagnosed cases. And also because of their computer system or manpower so on, they all contribute to this incident and to the mistake they made. With this third wave here, how different has it been compared to the previous waves in terms of the strain that medical or healthcare staff are going through? The characteristic of this third wave is uh, quite different from what we experienced in March or in April. First of all, the numbers is bigger than the, those in March and April. Secondly, the severity and the patient characteristic is different. In March and April, most of those are returned from overseas young students, healthy adults or working people. They have very mild symptoms. Just a couple of cases are a bit ill, but anyway, just a couple of ICU admissions. However, this time there are many local infected cases. They are elderly from OHM. They are middle-aged people with chronic morbidity. But according to my colleagues from emergency room and uh, intensive care unit or isolation ward, actually some of the patients, they are already quite ill when they first admitted. They are trans- they transferred to the um, ICU within a couple of days after admission. So that's why we saw for some of the ICU, their isolation beds are also full. And those patients need to run a longer course of hospital stay. They need intensive care unit care. And also they are going to have a higher chance to causing transmission to healthcare workers or outbreak inside the hospital. Thirdly, about the difference between two ways, this time it caused quite a bigger panic or fear in our community. We can see that more and more people go out to test, to ask for tests. Some of them I think it's appropriate because they have symptoms, they have contact with those confirmed cases or they come back from foreign countries. Yes, they are indicated. However, for some cases, actually for some citizens, they are asymptomatic. They don't have any close contact with the confirmed cases, but they just feel of it or their um, employer asking for that that because they are living in one of those buildings with confirmed cases. So our laboratory, no matter in hospital authority, in the Department of Health or even in the private sector are under tremendous pressure. Is this something that can be addressed by uh, more manpower and more resources? What should be done um, about it? First of all, of course, we do need some more manpower and resources. But definitely, I think the government should give a clear picture and give a more a clear instruction or clear direction how we should go through this wave. For example, tell people who should be tested, who should stay home, who should ask the employer let more people stay at work from home. I think, as I said before, some citizens go to ask for tests because their employer asks them to do so, although they have not contact with the confirmed cases or they are not asymptomatic. However, I think those patients, they should be asked to work from home rather than go for tests. For the hospital, we also need to clarify or classify, clarify who should stay inside the hospital, who should be admitted, who should stay in the quarantine facility, and who should even later 
even they're confirmed that if they are so well, who should keep themselves isolated in their home. We cannot put all the manpower, all the resources of our healthcare system all into the COVID because we do have a large number of elderly or large number of non-COVID patients which also need our care. South Africa is currently experiencing a fast and worrying surge in coronavirus cases. The latest figures show it has the fifth largest number globally. From the beginning of the pandemic, the country has been using contact traces to try and slow the spread, and the work of these frontline workers is rapidly becoming more dangerous. The BBC followed one small team in the city of Bloemfontein. Hello, you're speaking to Claudia from Red Cross and Department of Health. So you were in close contact with a person that tested positive for COVID-19. Are you aware of that? Do you have any draft cough? Shortness of breath? The system is saying that you are a high risk. I think we'll drive to your side so that you can get swapped. My name is Claudia Mangwakape and I'm a COVID-19 contact tracer. Every two weeks, I make sure that I test for also COVID just to check if I'm still okay, if I still didn't contract the, the virus. As I've indicated, the gentleman has a positive contact at work and he gave us information that the wife also has a contact at work as well and the child also at school, there's a positive contact. So. I can see you're surrounded by COVID yeah, in your family. Yeah, I can say that. And uh, it's funny because I've been trying to be so careful about it. Okay, for now, uh, it's only 12 o'clock and we're doing the second case of today. So we are here uh, testing a guy who's actually is a contact to a person that tested positive, which is the girlfriend. He's actually presenting with symptoms. He's coughing, he's having a sore throat. <coughs> Askies. <coughs> also, he's staying with a 69-year-old granny who's also having uh, underlying diseases as well. So we're hoping that the results will come out negative because not all the contact that we are tracing turns up positive and you know when you receive results and this person has tested negative i get so excited to give them a call right now i'm on my way home i lost a colleague in cape town due to COVID, and you know when when i heard the news it was difficult for me to go back and and do what i love the most. I'm a mother, I'm, I'm also a single mother of two girls. If I were to die, what's going to happen to my kids? But I sit with my kids every day and educate them and ask them. One of my girls, uh, she's 10 years old, she keeps on saying that when I grow up, I just want to be like you. I just hoot or I just call them and say I'm outside so they know they need to prepare a gown for me outside and I take off all of my clothes, put them in the plastic, wear my robe, go inside the house. They will have a basin with water for me to bath. I want to leave waking up knowing that I will see my grandchildren, I will see my kids graduating from school, getting married and so forth. I mean, just for us, when I sleep, when I wake up, I'm just thinking that I would hear the news that there's no longer coronavirus anymore. A 10-year-old from the English city of Bristol is seeing his lockdown project turn into an international success. 
Arlo Lipiat created the pint-sized punk fanzine as part of homeschooling and interviewed his favourite bands, including Idols, Fontaine's DC and the Manic Street Preachers. The first issue sold out its 300 copies. The second has attracted orders from the USA and Australia. The BBC's Colin Patterson has this report. Meet the pint-sized punk. Pre-COVID's 10-year-old Arlo went to two or three gigs a month in Bristol with his parents and would often be found right down the front. During lockdown, he was missing his music, so came up with an idea. My mum asked what I'd like to write about, and I said I'd like to write about some bands. The pint-sized punk fanzine was born. They approached his favourite bands for interviews. Mercury Prize nominee's Idol said yes and became his first cover star. I really like punk music. I like how the drums and guitars and vocals all go together like a big punk sandwich. And the fanzine has features you wouldn't find anywhere else. I asked everyone I interview their opinion on Marmite. This is the love side. John Newton and Carlos from Fontaine's DC are all sitting on the fence. They don't mind it, but don't hate it. Mum Hannah started taking Arlo to gigs when she realised it was cheaper than hiring a babysitter. Making the fanzine has been a huge part of his lockdown learning at home. Luckily, his, his school are really, really supportive and we've spoken to them about the skills that he's using. But it would be very easy for me as a parent to take over. But no, he's been involved in everything. And word of mouth is spreading. The first issue sold 300 copies. The second has attracted orders from Australia and America. And he's about to launch a T-shirt range. And big acts are on board. Arlo's spoken to the Manic Street Preachers and was just about to interview Dream Wife. What did you want to be when you were 10? I wanted to be either an artist, an astronaut or an acrobat. I think being in this band, I get to be all three. And when social distancing ends, Arlo will get to put on his own gig. His local record shop say he can host a lunch party there. Let's hope not too many more issues come out before he can do that. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. And uh, we'll have more news headlines at 12 midnight.
Looking after things on Radio 3 for Uncle Ray. He's uh, taken a few days off. I'm Kevin Lewis with you through until one. Just a man. 